St. John's College is the nation's great books college, where graduate students read and discuss the great works of the West or the East, online or in person, in Santa Fe or Annapolis. More at sjc.edu slash podcast. Welcome to the Harper's Podcast. My name is Violet Luca, and I'm the web editor. There are two types of reviews. The first are the ones that go down easy and are either loaded with adjectives ready-made for publicists to slap on press releases, posters, and back covers, or are a show of the critics' quips. A quip show, if you will. The other kind are few and far between because they're incompatible with promotional material. They're written with the hopes of generating questions instead of offering answers and can reveal deep truths about the work and its author. In the March issue, novelist and Harper's contributing editor Joshua Cohen takes the second route by adopting Philip Roth's persona, who reviews his official biography from beyond the grave. Rather than an unnecessary stunt, Cohen's review inhabits both the shortcomings and the skill of Roth's writing, but it also offers an incisive view of Phil Roth, the biography. I began by asking Cohen about the process of writing this review and the reactions he's received to it. Some people really took it upon themselves to let me know that writing something like that in the voice of another writer is always a stunt. You know, as 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 if I didn't know that, you know, it's like, you know, just telling me that and and a stunt that was, you know, uh, not serious criticism or somehow cheapening um, both the book under review and the subject of the book under review. And it was somehow disrespectful to both and possibly even you know, unethical or, or immoral or something. And I mean, these are all really quaint thoughts mm. uh, in the year 2021 yes. with the world dying around us. <laughs> um, and, but I guess we have to keep these, these, these little niceties alive or pretend to. I, I didn't want to review this book in the sense of uh, I didn't want to write about Roth again. I had written about Roth after he had uh, died. Mm. Uh, I sometimes feel like uh, one of the real results of of, um, of our current fixation on identity politics is that whenever an old Jew dies, my phone rings, and that seems to be the only time my, you know my phone rings for this. And 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 I felt like I had I I had said what I had, had to say about about him then, but then I got the biography and I began reading it, and I think it, it it's just a typical novelistic exercise or I mean exercise it's, it's where my my head goes naturally which is to say you know what what would Philip Roth think of this and as a novelist uh, or fiction writer I mean that's what I consider myself primarily it's 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 so it's just always easier to claim some sort of mask or uh, uh, or, or voice of, of another um, and to use that to think through, certain certain feelings and certain emotions that aren't necessarily so clear to me as me if i can even right. speak of that and i think w- what i mean by that is is that 
I've never been the, the type of critic who really cared so much what I thought. Um, I'd never really actually, I don't think I've really known what I've thought or, or, or been so uh, precious about this being mm -hmm. um, my opinion or that being my opinion. I, I think I was much more interested in the rhetoric of opinion making. And uh, I think I was much more interested in making a piece of art out of that kind of thinking. And this was an opportunity to do that. Yeah, no, I'm, you should be very suspicious of a critic who thinks that their opinion is the vital opinion to get out and is not engaged in the act of sort of thinking through what the author has written, pursuing criticism as a way to generate more thought, to encourage thought, not necessarily give a thumbs up, thumbs down. So, you know, you've mentioned that you've written about Roth before. When do you first remember encountering his work? And how and when and whether he influenced your own writing practice? Because you, you're often compared with Roth, but... Yeah, right. Uh, I mean, you know, I'm alive and still have my hair. Uh, <laughs> you know, I think that he was the, the you know, what's the, 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 the word that everyone's interrogating now? The, the <laughs> seminal uh, writer of my, what would be my parents' generation. So my reading of him was, in a sense, an investigation of what my parents' generation was reading. Um, but, you know, he really had, at least in my mind, you know, a number of distinct periods. And whereas someone from, you know, my, my parents, my parents' generation would have come to him in, in, in 69 with, with Portnoy's, or maybe, you know, before that, decade before that with... Um, Goodbye, Columbus. There were those wilderness years of the '70s and uh, uh, and '80s where I think he dropped off my parents' radar, right? And he was or he was frozen in in their minds as a um, as a provocateur of uh, of the '60s and early '70s, as a bad boy in in whatever sense that means. I mean, a, a, a media manufactured bad boy, right? As, as they all are, and a person who sort of survived community censure to a degree of, of literary, uh, if not just New York literary celebrity. But I think that there's a certain readership, uh, uh, my parents included, that abandoned him in the 70s and, uh, or in the, the 80s, really. And when Roth really had that resurgence in the 90s, this almost magical and very um, an unexpected turn in the 90s where book after book just um, just came out uh, with these thematic ambitions and these almost um, community rebuilding ambitions uh, uh, in response to, mm -hmm. let's say, community destroying ambitions of a few decades before that um, my parents sort of, my parents' generation could kind of look to him as to reconcile them to old age and to, in a sense, um, saying goodbye to a lot of um, not only their lives and memories and the things that connected them to old country living uh, uh, and, the, and the Jews from the other side of the ocean, but also that connected them to a certain view of America. And it was in that mid-90s that, uh, uh, that I really began reading him, right? I mean, I think I read... Um, you know, maybe Portnoy's when I was 11 or 12, but, <laughs> but I read, um, you know, 
or tried to read Sabbath Theater when it came out. And yeah. I think I was 14, 1995, right? 96, something like that. And, uh, you know, I understood what I understood and, 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 and didn't understand even, you know, what I didn't understand, but, 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 but I knew that there was something there and it was a different writer than the one that had been described to me by, you know, by the elders, let's say. And, um, and, and so it was interesting to come to know him through the American trilogy, um, through Sabbath and then the American trilogy because it really had nothing in it of the, um, of the jerking off into liver Roth that, um, well, I mean, Sabbath Theater certainly did, but, but the American trilogy really didn't. And that to me was, um, was interesting. And it was interesting to, 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 to then be able to actually parse out some of the generational differences between Roth himself and my parents. And the idea that you're always reading someone a little bit older than you. Right. You know, when you're when you think you're reading contemporary, you're usually reading someone slightly older than you. And and so um, did he I, I think so. So this is the long way of answering when I think about what his influence is. I actually just think about what that entire what that entire influence of post-war Jewish writing really was. Jewish American writing really was as filtered through the experience of my parents generation and and beginning to understand how some of those their concerns, which had always been a little bit um, vague to me, started to come into focus. You know, their 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 liberalism kind of came into focus. Also, their drift rightward, you know, came into focus. Um, their um, deeply held beliefs in um, in in both community and the freedom to rebel, and uh, and how those things could coexist, and what what sort of units could be made, familial units or community units or cultural units could be used to contain both of those things why containment of both of those things was 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 desirable um and then i also think that 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 their view of american exceptionalism being somewhat of a synecdoche or some some metonymic relationship between american and jewish exceptionalism that that i found um odd but i found illuminated uh, illuminated by, by by roth not to say that he's convinced me of it but 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 <laughs> But, but but the experience of reading it in him was was instructive. Absolutely. And to quote Roth in one of his later interviews, he said, quote, the book cannot compete with a screen, end quote. And then he predicted that the novel would become cultic in a quarter century. And you responded to this in a piece <laughs> in The New Republic saying, one, that maybe this wouldn't be such a terrible development, but also that the novel would live on in some form because there'd still be people possessed to write novels. And that was like more or less three years ago you wrote that. Uh, but it seems worth asking how Roth's prediction is feeling to you now. It it seems a little perhaps a little related to the complaint made in the review that, you know, Bailey cares more about Roth's fame than about his writing. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. I, I, I think it still seems to me to be the, the statement of a person who confused his own impending mortality with the mortality of an art form. Mm. You know, just because he was dying didn't mean that books had to. Um, I think that uh, in general, when I was calling for something more cultic, let's say, it, it, it was just the sense of, 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 um, of who one is writing for. And the truth is, is that while people can go around and lament the, um, 
you know, the lack of an audience or, or whatever you want to call it for, 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 for quote unquote, serious literature. The truth is, it's just, it's, it's lack of one audience for all writers. And uh, what we have right now are, um, you know, are countless audiences, as many audiences as there are, as there are writers. And um, I don't know that it has been a, a, mm. a healthy phenomenon to have these, um, these enormous publishing conglomerates that purchase someone's book and, uh, uh, and the world rights to translate it and begin kind of broadcasting, you know, a writer across every language. That business model tends to favor writers who write um, in a very flattened way. Uh, um, and I think when I was, you know, in, in a way in which all can understand, I mean, this is the idea that the, the sort of the larger uh, language kind of gets, or the, the more people are kind of involved the language, the, 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 the broader the, the, the expression needs to be, then the, 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 the more limited vocabulary, and you end up with something like business English, right? right? And that's, uh, we have a version of that in, 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 in literature, which is essentially, you know, uh, world literature. I mean, world literature is as bad as world music. <laughs> and um, and I, I think that, um, you know, I mean, it, it, it's as bad and it also doesn't exist, right? That's the more important thing. Yeah. <laughs> but right. But 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 yet in literature, it, it, it does because there are writers who write directly for this. And frankly, there are world musicians who make world music, whatever that means for direct distribution as world music. And I, I, I think that that one of the points I was trying to make was that Roth's kind of error was the last time that, and I don't know that Roth was in any way the avatar of it, but it was a point at which uh, the parochialism of a certain certain community, let's say, and the specificity of a certain community became the subject. Um, You see this in in a lot of um, any hyphenated Mm -hmm. American writing. Um, This is actually, in fact, the, uh, the key to the immigrant novel. Right. Which is like it, it's a hyper specific. Uh, it's an encounter between a hyper specific culture that one doesn't you know, have access to and a quote unquote dominant or mainstream culture that we can pretend uh, we all relate to. And it's that clash between the hyper specific or the parochial and and the quote unquote American mainstream that 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 provides both the tension and the drama of of, of these narratives. And and I think what I was saying was that in calling for something cultic or more parochial, it was saying that 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 I feel that um, that in fact as the, the novels should become more specific, and if they do become more specific and more parochial, we shouldn't be so unhappy if our audiences do too, uh, for a while at least, because that will preserve, I think, the the the, the specificity uh, and the and the parochialness of literature in the face of its dilution by the world publishing industry, frankly. Um, so yeah, I mean, there was a specific point about, about what I thought the novel was, not necessarily what I thought Roth's novels were. There was a real hope in Roth to be this sort of, um, you know, representative American author. And it's impossible for me to think about, you know, the idea of, of, of being a representative author. I mean, to my mind, you know, it, that's a, a foolhardy thing to want to be. It's, a, it's an yeah. impossible thing to try to be. Um, anyone who is calling themselves that is just setting themselves up to be, you know, um, taken down. And, um, and so the idea that, you know, one would, you know, write a trilogy of books that we'll call the American trilogy. I mean, I find it without in any way detracting from, from, you know, those books, 
uh, I just think the idea of writing an American trilogy is foolhardy uh, for someone of my generation. And I, I mean, I was interested in why. And, and I, I'm also interested in, you know, I'm also interested in, in it being impossible or, or foolhardy to, to, to attempt something on that, let's say, national scale and what that means for American writing, which, which has really always, I think, from its origins, sought to take in the entire um, continent, if not the world, in one gulp. And, and you know, and it seems that, that, that my generation is, is one that's, uh, that's choking on it. Yeah. Like you said, you know, we are living through a time where representation has the foremost place in how we're discussing and interpreting and absorbing novels. And and that's not to say that representation isn't important, but like in the 90s, authenticity, that was the thing that everyone was obsessed with. And so these we go through cycles of what is valued in a particular in a particular medium. Do you feel like Roth was susceptible to that or was, I mean, because even though he did shift away from being uh, so inflammatory, let's say, he still was exploring these issues. The thematic pre- preoccupations were always still there. Yeah, I mean, I think, it, I think it, it's difficult because uh, there are many people who, uh, who are alive, who live a few blocks from here, who, who, who knew him well. And so, you know, they w- would probably have better ideas than I would uh, about this. But from my own reading of, of, of him, uh, I would think that he would find it, um, you know, hilarious to suggest that he might be, in fact, mm-hmm. uh, a representative American author. I mean, it's, it's I mean, I think he was tickled by it, frankly. And the idea that, like, you know, there was no one else kind of grabbing for that main chance, you know, in a sense, uh, uh, oh, well, if, 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 if there isn't some you know, real American to do it, then, then I'll, you know, then I'll step in and, and take the reins. And I mean, I think, you know, we can also agree that that's quintessentially American, but I think there was still something that felt um, outsider uh, 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 for him. I mean, certainly there was during a time of, uh, 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 of, of whatever you want to call it, postmodern literature, experimental literature, the writers who come out of the 60s and 70s who are, you know, predominantly men who are uh, uh, going through these, um, wacky, zany ways of uh, cutting up text, of uh, introducing uh, the, the author as a, a character, you know, um, anything from, from, from metafictional techniques of John Barth uh, uh, through, through, through Coover, uh, through, um, through Thomas Pynchon, who is, you know, putting characters from other people's books and, you know, comic strips and detective novels into his prose. And then there's Roth, who who really uh, turns out to be um, a true experimental writer. And he somehow um, manages not to be branded one. And I think one of the interesting uh, uh, things to think about, and that I didn't really have a chance to put in that piece, and also would have been difficult given the framing device of the piece, is you know how, how does that happen? How does he come to this experimentalism and through what tradition? And it really is, in my mind, through this affinity he developed with writers behind the Iron Curtain, mm-hmm. and uh, which is a part that I think is, is, is somewhat lacking in the Bailey book of just documentation. I mean, here was a person who you know, goes over to Czechoslovakia and, and goes to Prague and says, you know, this is, you know, I, I'm home in a strange way. Mm-hmm. And I think this is his first real time where he has um, a personal encounter 
with really the fetishistic power of words, you know, or in Václav Havel's phrase, the power of the powerless, right? He actually understands the stakes of art when he meets um, writers who have been forced to work as garbage collectors, right. right? When he meets people who have been, you know, interrogated, tortured, imprisoned, so on. And this, you know, compared to um, the Roth, you know, uptown <laughs> life or the, you know, or the updike, you know, pastoral idyll seems to him to have real stakes. And it's his kind of, yeah, his, his fetishization of, um, of writing with political stakes that he finds behind the Iron Curtain. And not only that, when he also then explores what are the styles of writing uh, that at least that he has access to, that he can get translated through a book series that he starts and through the writers that he meets, um, he starts seeing that um, that there that what we are calling experimental literature in 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 the United States, like has these corollaries in in the Eastern Europe that are really born of a necessity to code literature or to make literature you know that doesn't necessarily. Uh, that comes up with ways of criticizing through allegory or through, you know, structural metaphor or through illusion in ways that, that, that if not, will, you know, totally successfully evade the censor or at least supposed to not be so explicit that you'll get yourself killed. And, and I think that he finds another way forward formally and another way forward politically through these writers. And that connects his let's say, um, you know, manic gross-out period <laughs> to actually the, the American period later. Um, the, 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 and and, and uh, I think it connects it formally through, through really the propagation of, of, of Zuckerman. I think uh, it, it connects it uh, certainly politically as to what is possible in America and what should be done with our freedom, what, what, what our freedoms can be used for. And, and I think it also takes him out of a lot of the literary conversations of the '80s, that that frankly um, stunted a lot of uh, 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 writers of his generation, people who came of age in the '60s and '70s, and really by the '80s were were ceasing to grow as artists and kind of stalling out. Yeah, what's striking about Roth's work is that you know, aside from these sort of experimental gamuts, I mean, there there's always this very intensely personal or sometimes personal, perhaps exploring a facet of himself through a character, um, you know, with something like uh, the plot against America, but also exploring this alternative history. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, if you read that now, or if you watch the HBO series, it, it takes on a different, um, takes on a very different tenor now because of recent political events, let's say. Um, so he he does he is always hitting on something kind of like that is a part of America, but as you say, with this insider, but also kind of outsider status that it brings certain things to the forefront that you wouldn't necessarily get from somebody who is purely approaching it from one side or the other. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think he, I think he, he, he thought a lot about alternate uh, existences, or you know, in his phrase, probably counter lives, right? And I think that that he thought a lot about um, how easy it would have been to have, um, you know, wound up the same person as someone else, mm -hmm. you know, the same person but in different circumstances, in a different country, in a different era. And I think that a lot of his work was this sort of ventriloquism. 
of of kind of speaking himself through these characters or thinking himself through these characters through these proxies and you know i think that you're right it, it didn't just have a, a you know there wasn't just a, a formal reason for this i think it was also a way for him to you know talk really about about himself without uh uh kind of giving up that last shred of himself that would have turned him into a memoirist let's say you know and i think that you know the idea of the confessional uh in roth the idea of the um is it true uh, uh you know and trying to come up with some correspondence between his novels and the reality which is which is something that that bailey spent some time doing uh i i i think is the least important part of his his work i think that what's far more interesting you know to me is is the way in which he puts his protagonists or he puts his narrator protagonists or his narrator you know in 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 other countries, um, you know, in, in in Israel, you know, in Czechoslovakia, in a, a in a Newark that uh, 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 that is watching Lindbergh become president, mm-hmm. you know, as you as you mentioned, and yet they're all they all have the voice of Roth, and and it's the idea of that that voice that gathers unto itself different faces, different bodies, different relationships different um different burdens um and yet the consistency of the voice uh persists and um and that to me is very attractive as a as a um as a novelistic proposition because it also seems to me to be a a kind of a formal analog to how i feel um you know the everyone's imagination works and you know separate you know not just writers i think we all uh, have these moments where we have a lot of moments in our lives where we, you know, talk through or act as other people, but uh, or we imagine being other people, and yet the voice that 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 narrates that to our heads is is you know irretrievably our own, mm-hmm. and so to really set that down on the page and then to acknowledge on the page that that's in fact the conceit that he's exploiting, I think is is is. Um, is really is really important and interesting, not just you know in the history of the novel, but also as a, as a psychological gesture. I mean, I, I'll say that like when you look at the novelist before him, the American novelist before him, you have the third person sort of you know God narrator who is just you know the author who's you know standing behind uh, uh, the camera, let's say, and just you know giving the voiceover to what to what is out there, and then you have a first person narrator that is you know, really trying to, you know, either identify themselves directly with the author or is just the character who the author has chosen to tell the story. Mm-hmm. And and Roth is really the first one who comes in and spends um, a large part of his career blurring all of those things, you know, establishing a Roth that's ultimately behind the scenes, but who's the creator of uh, Zuckerman, who himself is the creator of another character within the text. And, and I think it was, it was this idea of this, uh, these nested personalities that all come out of a process of throwing your voice that, um, that, that, that really reflects to my mind, modern identity and, and, and not to mention was, a, you know, was a major shift in the history of the novel. Yeah. Absolutely. And I mean, and part of that throwing your voice and achieving that was for Roth, uh, uh, uh I think for every writer, is uh pred- was predicated on the you know drafts and notes and there are boxes and boxes 
of Roth's drafts and notes that that were turned over to the Library of Congress. And Blake Bailey doesn't seem to show much interest in these in his biography or the biography. So your your description makes it seem like you may have visited those archives at some some point. Have you? Yeah, 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 I have, but 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 it was it was for a a, a completely failed piece that I was going to write, you know, a while ago. Oh no, nobody's doing any traveling now. <laughs> obviously. Right, right. Yeah, no, I didn't write for this, and 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 also there are some things that are online, and I had people send me some things, but but I I I think, um, look, I, I wasn't trying to say that 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 Blake Bailey. I mean, come on, you know, I'm not I'm not, you know, that much of an innocent, and I'm not that you know sanctimonious or pious about this. Like, you know, Blake Bailey was paid a lot of money by 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 Norton to uh, uh to make a book that people will read, and I'm not trying to say that like. You know that that in a nine in a book that's already nine hundred pages, there should have been you know four or five hundred pages, you know uh, additional pages like uh, comparing draft B and draft C. Oh no C no no yeah, yeah. <laughs> But I mean you know I mean I, I understand the audience for that is limited, and and I'm not trying to and I'm not trying to kind of you know shove process down people's throats. I think what I was really trying to say by pointing out just how many boxes there are. Uh, is it was really just what I was saying about how much time Roth spent writing. Mm. I mean, you know, I was I was saying, you know, from from the Eisenhower to the Obama administrations, he basically just wrote, and 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 you you don't get to publish that many books unless you know most of your life is spent sitting, willing yourself mm-hmm. sort of elsewhere, and and I think I wanted to 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 to, to make an argument for that because I think that. There can be a biography of everyone, you know, done really in, in two ways, right? The uh, uh, one is the uh, uh, the things you do and the things you say, as reported by other people or as observed by other people, and then there's the biography that's almost impossible, which is it's merely the biography of just everything you think, mm. right? And it's everything you feel, and that really is the kind of thing that is, you know, only gets out there in the world if you. Um, write it yourself, and and it really only gets out there in the world if you have that direct direct connection between your mind and um, and mm-hmm. your pen or your or your keyboard, right? I mean that that kind of fluency that transcribes interior speech is not is not really open to everyone, and um, and and, it, and even if people who to you know to who have access to that, it needs to be developed, and and so you know to have this biography. It's 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 really Roth as seen from from without, and the books you have to think are the closest thing that he's going to give you to you know to the autobiography to the life from within, and those include you know uh, books of 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 memoir that are that are you know that are purposefully labeled memoir and are are ostensibly memoir, and um and I think that they have to be balanced with each other if you want a picture of the entirety right. And uh, and one of the things that I was trying to say is that I you know I I didn't think that that was acknowledged uh, enough that the inner life was most of life for him. Right. And I mean, I also have to ask since you actually you know saw some of these papers, what was it like to encounter them and you know just spend time in that uh, liminal headspace that he was you know or, or you know these different. Um, these different attempts at the same thing. That felt wonderful. 
for what well, I mean, because it's because it made me feel that I wasn't such an asshole. Uh, <laughs> no, I mean, you know, it's always, I mean, it, there's like, you right. know, like, uh, uh, I mean, I, I guess one of the folly, you know, one of the elements of folly of this biography is like, you know, uh, uh, when you tell, uh, when you have a biography of someone who, you know, is shown like incontinent or, or impotent or, uh, or like, you know, or failing to, you know, to, to get laid or failing to impress someone or falling on his face. Mm -hmm. Like it says that it humanizes someone, right? Like, you know, here is Roth humanized. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and, and truthfully that, you know, there, there's few things that will humanize uh, a a writer to another writer than looking at a draft. Right. Because, because all drafts, you know, with a few exceptions really do look the same. It's, it's uh, 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 that was the, you know, you see the quality of someone's first thought. And then you see, you know, you contrast it with the quality of, 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 of their next thought and thought after that. And then, you know, the final thought, you know, quote unquote, which you like, let's equate with the, with the final published book. And the truth is, it's all stumbles along the way. And everyone's drafts look pretty much the same. I mean, they, there's there are different processes, of how they're done and, 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 and how they physically look. But it's, you know, there's a story you think you want to tell. And then, um, and then you find out while writing it that you actually probably want to tell a different story. And, uh, mm-hmm. and then you find out that you want to tell that different story in a different way. And, uh, and then you begin narrowing it down to the point where, um, where the sentences uh, from draft to draft uh, seem fairly similar, but, but you're slowly kind of moving commas around like deck chairs on the Titanic, right? Yeah. And so, uh, but, but, but that, you know, so, so the, the experience was, um, was wonderful, but, uh, but purely uh, because uh, uh, it, it brings me relief. Yeah, that, um, there are a few people who find writing uh, more painful than writers. Right. <laughs> it's just... right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think I think that one of the you know one of the interesting things that 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 is you know worth talking about in this context uh, that might be interested to interesting to people who are not you know as 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 obsessed with drafts, right? Is is really the difference of looking at 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 something that's done by hand and done it and on the, done on the typewriter than 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 what a draft means today. I'm not even sure that drafts exist anymore, and so um, and so there is something about the, the the handwritten and the typewritten draft that um, that that does compel, I think, a different process of not just revision but thought. And 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 I think the more one does it, the more it also influences subsequent writing. You know, from scratch, um, there there's a sense of uh, of more of an occasion. Uh, and I think the marking of a page, uh, the wasting of a page, uh, uh, the dirtying of a page, than there is on the screen, which is is really just kind of thrown light at glass. Well, okay, Jonathan Latham. Well, yeah, I mean, or 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 Martin Heidegger, you know, or Martin Heidegger. Sure. Yes. I mean, I, I, this isn't an, it's not an original point, but but I think that one of the 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 interesting elements is really understanding the economy that comes with it. Oh, absolutely. And and um, and, uh, and so in in many ways, you know, Roth's manuscripts are interesting because they're among um, the latest ones to be done, you know, by hand. Yeah. You know that I know of at least, and um, and and so in that sense, they seem to be, um, you know, they, they seem to have a certain stature uh, uh, in my mind. But you know, then again, uh, uh, let's. I, I think one thing that I'd like to mention here, and I don't know how much time we have, but I think it might be worth if you edit stuff like you know to get this in is, you know, originally my assignment here for Harper's uh, was to review a number of the Roth books that are coming out now. 
because there were a number of Roth books that were all timed to come out, you know, and kind of ride the, the, the coattails of, of this authorized biography. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, there's another five, I think, 600 page book by, uh, uh, by Nadell uh, called Philip Roth. It's another biography that's on Oxford University Press. And that's a very strange uh, uh, concoction. That book is, I think, it has almost uh, published the same month as the Bailey. And that book was uh, uh, is very strange because Nadell did not receive permission to quote Roth's work. Mm. So here we have a biography of a writer talking about you know the books, but but he really can't quote, right? And I mean, this to me, uh, I think I think it's the Bates biography of of Ted Hughes uh, had a similar had, it was in a similar situation. It's almost like in in, mm-hmm. in a leap in notion, you know, or like a it's a great kind of uh, uh, limiting technique. Uh, uh, can you write a biography without mentioning the guy's name, you know, the woman's name or the <laughs> titles of their books? And and um, one of the things that I think is 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 interesting is um, is to think about limitations. Because when you look at someone like Bailey, who had as complete access as any biographer, uh, you know, can really ever have, right? With the exception maybe of, of Boswell or something, I uh, uh, I wonder uh, whether that access that other biographers would die and/or kill for um, actually does make for uh, the better biography. I, I I don't think so. Well, it's hard to. It's hard to say again because of states and you know there might I, I'm and I'm not implying that there's some sort of plot against uh, telling the truth about uh, Philip Roth or or fully engaging with those texts. But again, like you said, Bailey had a very specific assignment. He's working with the estate. Um, he's there. There are these unknown parameters as opposed to some you know that guy who's trying to write the Christopher Hitchens right. biography right. with, with all, with everyone kind of like working against right. him, right. you know, the, those it's a, a public, a public versus private thing. Right. I, I think so. I also think it, it convinces me kind of more than ever that to know the subject, to have a relationship with the subject that, that, that you're writing about, you will inevitably be in a situation of treating every piece of material, treating every kind of fact, as to you know whether it falls into you know uh, uh, their interpretation or your own, and there's kind of uh, right. uh, 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 an attempt to analyze almost every you know data point or something like that you know in that light, and it it's it's interesting to me you know what one feels you know one owes one's relationship with 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 a subject you know um, I know that that Roth himself you know, wrote a lot of fiction, again, you know, that departed or that said to depart from, you know, instances in his real life. And Roth was, a, you know, an amazing example of someone who, you know, didn't seem to really care at all what the people that he was writing about or that he, whose stories he incorporated in his own stories uh, uh, thought or what they cared. Mm-hmm. And, and he sort of said, you know, you're welcome for making you immortal. Now, you know, leave me alone. And what's interesting is, is, is that, um, his argument, I think, always was, was that like after we're all long dead, you know, this record of some thought will 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 exist. It won't matter what any of us, you know, will feel anymore because we won't be here. But there will be a record of <laughs> something that at least I thought, you know, had some wider significance or some larger meaning. And the question of this biography, really, you know, that I ask is is um, 
you know, does Roth's relationship with a biographer have any larger meaning? Is there some interesting um, thing that we can learn here about the power relations between a, a, a subject or a celebrity, let's say, and a, you know, and a biographer or by a culture that's going to cover them? What are the you know, parasitic or symbiotic relationships really at mm-hmm. play um, between someone who craves attention but also you know, requires privacy, who, who wants to be venerated but also needs to seem truthful or seem transparent, who, who needs mm-hmm. to be both you know, um, you know, a titan but also relatable. And I think that, that we're seeing a lot of things in the culture right now where there is this tension between the desire of, you know, a, a famous person to be known and a desire of a famous person to have privacy and be protected. And, uh, and so many of the narratives around what fame means and the power relations of fame have really to do with the complicity of the audience and the complicity of, of, of a media. And I think it's, it's in biography um, and, uh, you know, as Janet Malcolm kind of probably best shows us, that like that yes. that that we see this um, really play out in the literary sphere, and I think that literature has a lot of these lessons to kind of show and you know to teach the 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 uh, 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 the larger culture about these um, these two way streets, right? Mm-hmm. And um, and and this is a classic example of a car crash on a two way street. In this book. Yes, you you talk in the piece. Or you mentioned, you know, I thought the part where you were talking about Roth, quote unquote, auditioning biographers, feeling out how well they'd perform the duplicitous role of impartial chronicler in a public and a co-conspirator in private was, you know, a key to that, which you've just said. But what do you think the biography uh, will have on Roth's reputation itself? Oh, I don't know. If, I, I don't know what Roth's reputation is. I mean, I, I don't. Well, especially now. <laughs> I mean, no, but I mean, I, I, I don't know. I don't know if a lot of it's, it's interesting, you know, it's also, I, I don't really believe anyone when they, when they say things, you know, I think so much, so much mm-hmm. of influence culture or so much of the idea of influence exists in a rhetoric of bad faith anyway. So for mm-hmm. example, you know, uh, auto fiction and, and our current, um, our current Vogue, uh, uh, or at least recent Vogue for auto fiction. Uh, I don't think any of those writers being so polite and politically responsible and, you know, and good citizens of literary community uh, are going to say Philip Roth. As an influence, mm-hmm. I don't think Rachel Cusk is going to say that. I don't think Ben Lerner is going to say that. I don't think Maggie Nelson is going to say that. I don't think, you know, I don't, I don't even think Knausgaard is going to say that, you know, mm. uh, or, or Teju Cole is going to say that. But to my mind, he is a source, like, uh, and it's always interesting to me that a lot of these kind of ways of, 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 of writing, these ways of presenting the self um, tend to have to come from, uh, uh, or we tend to have to find really what I would consider to be roundabout ways of getting at them as opposed to, 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 to the more direct thing of, of reading Roth. So instead people will point to theory or instead people will point to, I don't know, the, the enduring influence of, you know, such as Nausea or, or the Notebooks of Multilord Brigge by Rilke or, or, mm-hmm. or the influence of, 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 of Zebald, right, for example, right? Mm-hmm. But, but to my mind, if you are doing something auto-fictional, I, I don't understand how you don't have that debt to Roth, and yet it's not something that, 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 that seems to be, you know, acknowledged. Uh, or, or, you know, I think also 
so so I'm not sure a lot's going to change after this. I, I think he's already been someone who's been um, who's been done away with. But in a way, you know, he's uh, that's what happens after you know the deaths of a lot of writers, and and that allows them to sort of you know pickle in 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 their own way uh, for for you know some future you know barrel opening. And so uh, uh, I, I also think that, that there's an element to it of, I think there's also an element to it of, of not understanding um, how, to, how to read, you know, how to read his politics and how to read his, his treatment of, of women. I think it's not to know how, how to read his treatment of, of race relations. I think it's not to know how to read his, you know, treatment of a lot of things where, where we're not far away enough from the time of that writing to kind of consider it as, you know, historical. And, uh, uh, it's a little too, uh, and at the idiom in which it's, in which these ideas are expressed are still a little too current in a way. It's like, it's easier to read, um, harsh language in, in the diction of the 19th century than it is to kind of, you know, the slangier, more rhythmic prose of the 1970s. Um, where, oh yeah, it definitely waters it down. Well, right. I mean, it just it's it's like when something is delivered in 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 a in a in a rhetoric or that sounds contemporary, it's it's far it's far more distressing than yeah than when you're when you're reading it in 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 um in Huckleberry Finn or The Adventures of Tom Sawyer. Right. And Absolutely. and so so I think you know certain time has to elapse to be you know to be seen in a certain way. And also, I think you know. Finally, I think the, the the answer is is that there's a there's a large sense that that so many of his concerns seem. I guess the word would be now privileged, right? I mean, this mm. is a person who is, you know, a lot of times he's wondering, you know, oh man, you can only fuck one person for the rest of your life. Like, what is this marriage? <laughs> you know, or like his biggest problem is is yeah is is he has you know four people who love him. Or his biggest problem is, is you know, he's so famous that he can't go outside, right? And and I think that 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 in a way it seems it can seem that like the time he lived in the this sort of um, you know sex in the elevator you know expense account uh, era of of big publishing when the when the advances you know flowed like wine I think that. <laughs> That I think that 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 in a way it 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 it's easy to kind of see him as a little uh, buffoonish, ridiculous, and 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 coddled, you know, uh, uh, and that his problems aren't really problems, um, and if he insists on making them problems, then we have to read those narrators, we have to read those narrative protagonists as as more clownish, I think, than he intended. Yeah, but that is a, instead of being a, a a you know we can look at that two ways right like we can look at all of bourgeois thought in two ways right it can either be um, look at these privileged fucks who did so well you know like they didn't know how good they had it or we can look at it the way of wow we've really fallen and uh, because the next step is you know can we not read um, books about people who you know uh, have homes or have jobs. Because look at how privileged these people are. Or did you read that book of the person who eats three meals a day? It's crazy, you know. Right. I mean, can you imagine? So and so, I think that this is the the entire problem with with in fact the bourgeois um, bourgeoisie and novels. And beyond that, it's an entire problem with novels because the novels are a bourgeois product, right? A, a novel yeah. novel always was the kind of you know the news of 
uh, the news that wasn't in the newspaper, the news of the bourgeoisie, of their of their lives, of their folkways, of the strange habits of this tribe. And um, and so, you know, that in and of itself is, is, I think, part of what Roth kind of saw as foretelling the doom of what he called the novel. And I think we can now call a certain kind of a novel. Yeah. And again, I would just caution the overstatement of we can't do X because, of course, mm-hmm. what did prestige TV give us but the male anti-hero who is cheating on his wife who is has all these you know is racist has all these terrible flaws and yet is so captivating and and clownish sometimes sometimes unintentionally right so absolutely absolutely and 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 in in a lot of ways in a lot of ways the um rothian kind of you know anti-hero right um Mm -hmm. has was replaced in literature by you know that 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 sort of figure from earlier from Yiddish literature of the schlemiel or of the mm-hmm. schlub, and it becomes like a. I would actually argue that it, the successor to that is yeah is 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 the Seth Rogen who always ends up with the you know with the attractive woman or the you know or the Adam Sandler who always ends up with the attractive woman you know at the end of the day, mm-hmm. and these are you know kind of idiot man boys who stumble into um, sexual opportunity, right? Um, which is right. far different from the Rothian anti-hero who is really a victim of his, uh, quote unquote, victim of his appetites and doesn't know how to control them. And, right. and, and it's interesting that, uh, like I find that Rothian anti-hero, I think it's much more honest in the admission that I, you know, we cannot believe that he can't control them, but at least he's saying, I feel out of control. Right. And I think that that's far different from, you know, the, the, the Rogan, the Seth Rogan figure feels the Schlemiel figure feels far more false to me. Oh, absolutely. I mean, yeah, like you say, the being out of control, that's, that's a universal experience, whether we like to admit it or not. Right. 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 But being the guy who stumbles into something just out of his fumbling right. luck is, you know, right. It's, you know, that to me is far more the the, the Judd Apatowization of 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 Roth. You know, that that to my mind also really represents like a, a Gen X neutering of a yeah. a certain, um, you know, immediately post war character, right? Or yeah. a counterculture it's, character, um, yeah. Yeah, it's hard not to feel like Frank Grimes when presented with <laughs> <laughs> the Shlemiel. Um right. And then I I wanted to ask about, you know, we've been talking about inhabiting other lives and other other potential, you know, revisiting certain events, fictionalizing them, complicating them, um, admitting maybe things that are kind of nasty. You have a new novel coming out in June of this year called The Netanyahu's, (laughs) uh, which is a very, (laughs) very um, tantalizing uh, title. Could you tell us about that? Yeah, sure. The Netanyahu's is is really a it's a novel that really asks why did these did this family did did Bibi Netanyahu and Yoni Netanyahu and Ido Netanyahu the three Netanyahu boys why did they grow up in the states? What what were they doing here? Why why <laughs> why is there something American to to Benjamin Netanyahu? Mm. And um and it really uh uh follows their father Benzio Netanyahu who was a um, 
important historian of really the Middle Ages, uh, uh, specializing actually in the Inquisitions, um, who, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, who uh, you know, was born in Warsaw, grows up in, 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 in Palestine, and, um, and really becomes aligned with, um, with this quote-unquote revisionist Zionists, uh, the Jabotinskyites, who, uh, and, and becomes a, a, a polemicist and uh, a, an inciter of terror against the British and against really against mm-hmm. any any uh, Jew who kind of seems to quote collaborate with the British, and that makes him persona non grata. And he um, he he can only really find a job in the states. He's here in exile, and uh, mm-hmm. you know during the most important you know decade in you know modern Jewish history in the forties when um, there is a, a Holocaust in Europe. And uh, and and the state of Israel is being founded in 1948. Benzion Netanyahu is not in Europe. Neither is he in Palestine or, or incipient Israel. He is in uh, a suburb of Philadelphia. And so he's a historian, kind of left out of history and seething. And uh, uh, and so it's a, it's about it's about him, but it's 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 sort of also about um, all of the weird historians in America. Who knew him during his time here, and uh, and enjoyed telling me stories about him, and uh, and uh, and yeah, so it's it's really uh, uh, it's about a weekend uh, job interview he does uh, at an upstate uh, New York college that shall remain nameless, um, and uh, and the havoc uh, that ensues. Very nice. Why did you choose to set? Roth's afterlife in a cabin where he's writing, like his writing studio. There's a Hasidic kind of legend or tale that really actually isn't one. I, it, it's one that Gershom Sholem invented in a letter to Walter Benjamin. He kind of like uh, forged this fake uh, uh, Hasidic folktale to Walter Benjamin, you know, saying that, you know, the next life is uh, what does you know heaven look like? What does the, the world to come look like? It's 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 exactly like this world, just a little different. <laughs> and uh, I've been thinking a lot about that during, um, honestly, during COVID, when yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, one of the things I've been saying to myself uh, whenever I felt um, particularly grim is, um, it's okay, you're you're already dead. Um, you know, nothing can happen. You're, you're already dead. And so there is a feeling, uh, especially when you're writing that it's, 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 you know, you tend not to remember time that when you're writing. So it, it feels like, uh, you don't remember much of your life. You know, you kind mm-hmm. of only remember the ideal that you wanted from the book, but you don't actually remember the time in which you're writing. So there is a feeling that like so much of life then is lost. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking about, uh, uh, what would Roth be doing in heaven? And I realized that even if I was wrong and, uh, uh, and, and, and there was a, a next world and it was just, um, you know, orgies wall to wall, <laughs> he would still be hunkered down in some kind of, you know, studio hut, you know, bunker uh, uh, every day, um, putting, putting words on the page because I, I think that gave him some you know, shape to his mind, though he did seem freed when he announced his retirement. It also did seem that that was the beginning of a process of accepting death. Yeah. 
and um, so yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I also I do think that there was some there was some um, you know COVID in it, and uh, and frankly, one of the interesting things is 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 reading any biography of literally anyone. <laughs> Uh, mm-hmm. uh, uh, not in a in a in a horrific wartime situation, say, uh, uh, during this you know during this time. I mean, uh, uh, and, and even Bailey's kind of you know cheapest moments that really recount you know going to uh, Bellato's, this Italian restaurant on Houston Street. It could be a f- throwaway, forgettable part, but I said, oh, they're they're inside a restaurant without masks. Yeah, eating red sauce. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You're right. Um, obviously, when something is written, changes are, mm-hmm. you know, how we receive it. The where where we are in our own lives when we're reading it, uh, obviously changes how we receive something. I mean, you know, there 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 is Ross Ross book, the Nemesis, you know, that's narrated from you know beyond the grave, mm-hmm. and you know, a guy who dies in the Korean War. And I, I kind of look to that also as a, as an interesting analog because, you know, first of all, it, it is a you know, posthumous narrator, his last book, but also it's about the polio epidemic. Yeah. And, and it's about, um, you know, the, the, the fear and the rumors and the, the fake news and conspiracy theories and, and, and mm-hmm. you know, false science, purposely false science, accidentally false science of polio. And, you know, it's really that that book has been coming back to me a lot. And of all the the books that 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 have been, you know, named as, you know, kind of quarantine reading, um, that that's one that that unexpectedly hit me in a way that 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 it didn't when I when I first read it. Yeah, it's weird how um, fiction can tell you things about your own life and history. (laughs) People seem to forget Mm -hmm. that uh, sometimes. But Uh, all right. I think that's all I had. Is there anything else you wanted to touch on? You know, maybe one thing that I would say is um, I, I wonder what the future of literary biography is. And when you said to me, how do I feel Roth meant this statement about, you know, the, the book, the page can't compete with the screen or the book can't compete with the screen. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, 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 again, you know, the idea that there's a competition is, is, I mean, I think that's a particularly Rothian idea that there is a competition uh, between these mm-hmm. things. But, but I do think that one thing that is, is, that seems to me to be um, increasingly marginalized or at least going to become the purview almost entirely of academic of academia is is the literary biography and i sort of wonder where that goes um and i I say i wonder where that goes because um you know while we can continue of course you know rehashing you know the the kind of same famous names and you know that have always had kind of biographies about them and we can have you know the ten thousandth book about about Dickens or about the Brontes or about, you know, or we can have the kind of ones that, 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 that do, you know, actually reevaluate the past and bring to the fore, you know, forgotten figures, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's difficult to think about, you know, writers of the last, writers younger than Roth who, who will get or, or, or let's say, you know, will earn uh, a biography. And um, and that is an, an interesting you know thing to think of. Um, and in a way, it's not just because you know writing has lost a certain place in the culture, 
or not just because you know the fame machine of of you know the '60s and '70s was was you know just it had far greater mainstream reach, right? Than 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 now. Yeah, I I think it has something to do with um with the way writers write because um you know someone like uh, like Knausgaard, right, is not uh, what what is a biography of Knausgaard going to do? Someone's going to read six volumes of Knausgaard and then they're also going to read a biography of him, <laughs> right? I, I I think that um yeah. You know, it, 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 to me, these um, uh, uh, it's the self-disclosure that comes from the memoir becoming a very important form and, mm-hmm. uh, and autofiction or the, the autofictional impulse or the, just the confessional impulse becoming an important form that, that literary biography is increasingly going to be sort of, you know, let's compare the published record and the author's name and, uh, and other people's impressions. It's going to be a you know a, a game of 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 comparanda, um, and fact checking or fact checking exactly or fact checking, and that to me is is really um, is an interesting thing. Um, we've we've really become our own, you know, uh, biographers, become autobiographers and, and memoirists, and and that really does represent a change that that I think that um, that Roth had maybe more um, to do with. Than, um, than current practitioners give them credit for. Right. I mean, do you feel like that um, that shift also limits criticism of those works? You know, that this is, you know, this is someone, someone's confession. This is someone's life. And therefore, there are certain things that you can't, you know, again, you know that these mm-hmm. things actually happened or almost certainly happened. Right. So you can't criticize them. Oh, I think I think that it, pre- it presents an enormous challenge for 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 a critic or for someone trying to to kind of assess these things. I mean, it it feels ridiculous to um, take something that's presented as entirely true and uh, uh, and debunk it unless there's some real political reasons to do it. It seems kind of ridiculous yeah. of you know something that is really supposed to communicate experience or a certain you know unique experience or 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 truly truly you know, outlying experience and then to, um, and then to knock it down because of its sentences or to read it on the sense right. level, you know, I mean, that seems, that seems right. ridiculous too. So yeah, I think it's, I think it's, I think it's really, I think it, it is really difficult. And, um, and I think increasingly, you know, criticism is, is, you know, is compensating for that difficulty by merging with uh, uh, the first person uh, account itself. And and that's why you know so many of these things you know so many of these of these books read essayistically, right? They mm-hmm. they incorporate you know elements of criticism as well, and and yeah, I think that that that, that these um, uh, that criticism needs to 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 kind of graft onto something like that in order to in order to be relevant to uh, uh, to certain concerns that are out there, um, because I think criticism really does risk becoming politically charged person criticism right? right when 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 the genre really turns to the um to the confessional when someone i mean in in, in soviet terms almost when someone makes a confession right and <laughs> yeah. then they become criticized for their confession that usually means they're dead you know <laughs> and 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 so, um, you know, or when someone is criticized and then confesses, you know, sometimes they they are saved. But none of these are um, none of these are pretty uh, processes. And so, um, I really think that 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 in a way we we 
we need to think about them differently and need to 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 also preserve for ourselves a space of 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 ambiguity and 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 of, mm-hmm. of not just not knowing but of not wanting to know not caring to know you've been listening to the harper's magazine podcast produced by violet luca and andrew blevins the music is cut and shoot by febrifuge Harper's Magazine is the oldest general interest monthly in America, exploring the issues that drive our national conversation through long-form narrative journalism and essays. To get 12 issues for $21.97, visit harpers.org save.